Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 112 of Level Up, 60 minutes of live Q&A where your questions, chat and votes drive the show. As we get underway today, please do let our social team know your name and the city you're joining from. We really love to get to know our audience and get everyone involved. My colleagues Ella and Shanice are online and they will post a link in the chat to vote up the questions that you would most like answered and, of course, for you to add in your own questions. If your question is selected, your name will appear in the credits at the end of the show. So get your questions in early and stay with us to see that happen. Please do take a moment to like, comment, share and, of course, subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything and it really helps new folks discover our content. In today's world, with rising costs and recession dominating the news headlines, we all need to understand how to deliver more with less. We have a great panel lined up today and a very fitting topic to discuss of how to deliver twice the value in half the time. So that's enough from me. Let's jump straight into the show and meet the panel. The returning panelist, SP Singh, is a principal consultant at Bahani Consulting. SP is a seasoned consultant with a clear objective and vision. He has 15 years of experience in business systems and ERP implementation consulting with C-suite executives to facilitate digital transformation. Welcome back, SP. Thank you so much, Ali. Good to be here. Very welcome. And joining us for another episode is Laurie Bowman. Laurie has 30 years of experience in engineering and management roles on complex multidiscipline engineering and construction projects and is a trainer and advisor on planning, assurance, risk management and control for projects, programs and portfolios. Great to see you again, Laurie. Very good to be here. Thank you, Ellie. Also returning to the show is the founder and executive head of ICT123.com, Martin Vitius. Martin uses the knowledge and experience gained during his 30 years of practicing multinational companies and cooperation with various clients to combine different methods and approaches to find out the real cause and achieve the goal as effectively as possible. Welcome back, Martin. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. And back to share more knowledge with us is Falco Werner. Falco is the co-founder of Werner Consulting and helps leaders double the effectiveness of their teams in a matter of weeks by combining different approaches in a way that brings value creation into the spotlight. Thanks for joining us again, Falco. Hello, listeners. Hello, panel. Nice to be here. And finally, making his Level Up debut is Michael Ellers. Michael is a partner in Implement Consulting and a lead of the Half Double Institute. Michael has been dedicated to project and portfolio management, change management and strategic execution since 2001. And is one of the founding fathers of the Half Double methodology, which I'm sure we'll hear more about today. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Ellie. I'm happy to be here. So our question master for today is Charlotte Miller. Uh, Charlotte joins us from the Thames Valley. Hello, Charlotte. Hello. <laughs> Hi, late, Charlotte. As, late as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Better late than never. Um, can we have our first question, please? You can. And we've got a question from one of our panellists. What is value and who is deciding how to create the most possible amount of it right great question panel right what is value and who decides how to create the most amount of it 
Michael, we'll start with you and then we'll have SP and then Laurie, please. Thank you. So um, I think I think first of all it's interesting to talk about I mean what is value and 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 I think that's that's probably a thing that we should start with. So in my perspective, you would see I would usually divide it into two major buckets. You would have what I would call business value, which would be usually kind of financial uh, measurements, and then you would have what I call behavioral value creation, meaning that someone will change behavior in order to create the actual business value that we are usually striving for. So I think it's, it's, it's at least a good start to kind of divide it into those two different value creation uh, buckets. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. SP, your thoughts on this one, please. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think holistically, value is a sense of perceived achievement, and that can be financial, it can be behavioral, it can be uh, spiritual. So I think there it is a multi-facet sort of discipline with uh, multiple dimensions to it. Uh, but overall, value is something we, we have a sense of achievement. Uh, we may go to a, a good hotel, restaurant, and we have a good dinner. Yeah, we find a value. and yeah, it is multi. It has multiple dimensions in general, and I think this the second part is really who is deciding how to create the most possible amount of it. I think everyone as a service offering, and it doesn't matter what we do. But at the end of the day, we are offering service. So, as a service provider, we should be taking a conscious sort of decision to add as much as value in whatever we do. Uh, yeah, I think that's my perspective on value and the decision which relies with us. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. It's a great question for the start of today's show. Laurie, your thoughts, please. Yeah, so uh, I, I agree with, uh, with SP and Michael. It's such a multi-faceted uh, concept and it really is the, the worthiness or the, the, the intrinsic utility that we, we get from something. And, of course, it has a different... Um, perspective for everybody. So an old beat up car for a university student that gets them from A to B might be absolutely fantastic. Um, for an executive that needs to travel the exact same distance, it might not be because they've got a certain esteem value that they place or a personal psychological value that's different to the actual functional uh, value that's being provided. But um, what, what I'm really seeing, or the way, a common trend that I'm seeing in the way that that projects are delivered and, and executed is that often values getting uh, summarised in terms of the outcomes of the project in, in terms of economic value, which is sort of the traditional way we measure performance on projects. But a lot more we're starting to get better at rating the social value and the environmental value as well. So even in projects, it's starting to be appreciated from many more levels than it was once in the past. And to the second yeah, half of the question, of course, yeah, the, the most important thing with value is, is really the customer's perspective. So we have the customer of a project, for example, but of course there's many other, there's not just one customer. Everybody we're interacting with in some way is some form of customer. So we have internal customers, external customers, different stakeholders, everybody's a customer to some level. So it's really interesting to think of how do we create the most value for the number of people that we're interacting with. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and really great to pick up on that qualitative element as well that perhaps can't be measured um, with the value. Uh, Martin, did you want to add something into this one, please? Uh, I would like to add that uh, I agree with all guys who, who talked before me. And uh, we were talking mainly about uh, business stuff and social value, environmental value and so on. But we shouldn't forget that uh, there is a personal value for, for myself as well. It's, uh, it's something that's very important because at the end of the day, uh, if I do something, it should bring value to me. And then I am willing to, to deliver value for somebody else. So it must be somehow aligned together. And uh, regarding to the second part, who decides? Yeah, customer. If I do it for myself, I am my own customer. If I do it for somebody else, then somebody else is my customer. And yeah, customer will be happy or will not be happy. It's very simple. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The customer is king, as they say. Um, right. Thank you very much, uh, panel. Charlotte, please, may we have our second question? You certainly can, Ali. We've had a question that's come in um, straight into Slavo while we've been talking. Um, the question is from James Bryden. Um, James asks, how it all relates to scope, budget and quality constraints? Okay, panel. Right, we'll start with you, Martin, and then we'll go Michael, SP and Laurie, please. And then Falco, all panel. Okay. Okay. Maybe maybe I would like to add one parameter there. Scope uh, and quality belongs together. Budget is another one. And maybe uh, the last one is uh, usually time or speed. And all those three parameters will always uh, influence us. And um, uh, the customer or somebody I, I work for must always prioritize between those uh, parameters. And based on that, uh, we should focus or we should concentrate on, on priority. And from my perspective, uh, uh, it's possible to achieve all three of them, but you have to start at a certain point and you have to fulfill some prerequisites, then you can fulfill all three or all four of them. On the other hand, if you don't do that, you have to always choose just one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, Michael, you'd like to add to this one, please? Yeah, I, I, I know I'm a bit firm on this and maybe it's not that popular, but I would say that in, in all the project experience that I've had so far, um, you know, I think it's the value creation that's the most important thing. And I would say that the budget and the scope and, and the time is really secondary to that. And, and I know that you will find projects and you will find organizations where that statement really doesn't fit perfectly. But I would say, what is a project if you do not face the value creation? And if you're not creating it, what, is, what would it then be worth, right? So, so I would say the value creation would always be primary to, to the other factors. And, and let me just add to this. I think there is a reason why, why it's usually kind of the other way around. And I think the reason for that is it's so tangible to come up with, let's say, a cost estimate or a time deadline. It's, it's very tangible and easy to manage, whereas value creation is usually a very fussy uh, kind of thing. So it's, it's hard to define, which seems to be the reason why it's kind of twisted around, even though it should be value first. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense to me. Um, SP, your thoughts, please. Yes, I, I, I agree with Michael. So yeah, value is, is, is not black and white. It's a perceived sense of achievement in, in general. And we, we covered before the multiple dimensions of it. 
but I think coming back to the, the standard project constraint, we have got scope, time, and quality. Uh, so the topic which we are covering is how we can offer double the value with half the time. And uh, ideally, if we can do it, that means the, the constraint is not that bigger constraint. So that means that a scope, I can cover additional scope with the same time and not impacting the quality because I'm delivering more value, I'm doing more work and so forth. So I think uh, if we have tools and which we may cover going forward, if we use the tools, if we push ourselves as a project team to really deliver double the value with half the time, then the overall value that we are going to deliver under the given project is going to be massive and the stakeholders will be quite impressed and happy with what we deliver as a project team. Uh, so I think in general, uh, the constraints, the standard project constraint may not be that big a constraint if we all as a team can double the value with half the time. Uh, and I think we should all strive for it. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the reminder of, of uh, the topic for today. That's great. Um, Laurie, let's have uh, your view on this one, please. Uh, yeah, so I, I agree with the previous speakers. So value is really the almost like the business perspective of the project and it's the why. It's why we're doing the project, to create value, to, to come up with something new and innovative. Whereas uh, sometimes the you know, the description there, the, the scope and the budget, that's more about the what and the, the what people are actually doing. So I, th I agree that it's really important to keep a value in mind and there's so much opportunity to be innovative, particularly in the early phases of a project um, where we, we don't always need to do things the way we've done them before. We can come up with innovative ways. Um, once upon a time, people used to say, oh, you can only have, you can only improve two, you can't improve three altogether. Well, actually, if you spend enough time in innovation and get the right people and you collaborate, sometimes you really can bring uh, all three in together, particularly with some of the technology innovation we're seeing these days. I mean, you think of using something like Google Maps to get from one side of a city to another. It's, it's faster. It's better quality. It costs less than whatever it was that you know, we used to use and you know, the, the manuals we would use in the past. So there's so much opportunity to to create value and to do it in half the time. Yeah, perfect example there. Thank you. Okay, finish us off on this question, please. Very well. Uh, <clears throat> I see that um, we are talking about lots of uh, language regarding project, project management, project uh, scope and budget. And from my perspective, uh, creating value usually also requires a mindset shift from this project kind of thinking that you are finished with this uh, kind of thing at the point in time. When you switch to the customer perspective and try to get um, the person where we agreed on um, in the last question that the customer is deciding what is value creation, um, then you often have to also switch from the project perspective to the product or maybe even service perspective. Um, to, to think about um, a long-term uh, relationship with the customer, creating not only uh, some virtual value that's defined in, in a 
project uh, plan or project handbook or a kind of thing um, that writes it down at the beginning of uh, some development process or even before the development process starts, but to iteratively uh, co-create with the customer um, on um, the value that can be achieved and to learn, to get the feedback and to iterate on what you deliver. So that might be products or actually mostly um, more and more services. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Martin, I think you want to jump back in on this one? Uh, I would like to react what uh, what Michael said because uh, he mentioned that uh, we want to deliver value uh, and we have uh, those uh, constraints and we should not concentrate on the constraints because we want to deliver the value. But even fulfill those constraints can be the value for the customer. Sometimes when you have, for example, legal project, then you have clear scope and when you fulfill the scope, you delivered exact value expected by the customer. Or somebody has just limited amount of money, so you delivered something in the budget, you didn't overspend, so it's the value for the customer. When you do it in time, right in time, uh, before certain deadline or something like that, that's the value for the customer. So maybe we can return this question back. We should not say that those are constraints, but those can be possible values, because based on them, we can define values. Yeah, excellent point. Maybe it's about delivering the most value possible within the constraints that, uh, that are set by the customer. Um, thank you, James. I hope that um, answered your question. And thanks for posting your question. Uh, please do keep them coming. Uh, we like to keep the panel on their toes with the live questions. Um, Charlotte, please, may we have uh, question number three? Certainly can. Oh, can even. We've got a question from a friend of the show. Uh, it's just come in. Question from Nigel. How important are frameworks in delivering value to stakeholders? Okay, brilliant. Frameworks. We all love a good framework. We'll go Laurie, SP, Martin, and then Michael, please. Well, it depends. <laughs> uh, so it depends on the framework, but certainly there's some um, a very good value improvement, they're called value improvement practices that have been in engineering disciplines for a long time, but they're one of those really well-kept secrets. And often, um, you know, financial people will, will call things uh, value engineering when they're actually just cost-cutting, which sometimes gives it a bad name. But certainly within engineering practices, there's some absolutely fantastic value improvement practices that tend to get underrated. So engineers are we're often introverts, and so we often have these fantastic tool sets and frameworks that we don't use enough. And there's another really good uh, framework that I've seen called the Total Cost Management Framework from an association for cost engineers that's fantastic as well. Very big focus on value creation, um, as well as you know the traditional constraints of executing the project, but a lot of focus on creating value before the requirements are established for the project delivery. Thank you, Laurie. That's really helpful. Um, SP, we'll come to you. Yep, uh, I agree with that. Uh, in general, frame, I think frameworks are a good starting point. So when we start the project, offer a service, do something for someone, if we have some framework in mind or some framework we can refer to, I think it is always a good starting point. But I don't think we should consider 
frameworks as a silver bullet that are those they are starting point they are not the end and i think that's something we should keep in mind with whatever we are doing really yeah absolutely agree they are um the starting point but it's about the application isn't it really um martin what are your thoughts on this one please uh, i just wanted to say what sp said because uh, uh we should remember that framework is something what we use to achieve the value but it should not be the goal to use the framework that's that's a very important thing and what laurie said uh, it really depends it can help us a lot but it can be roadblock as a hell and we will not achieve anything yeah absolutely and so many of the frameworks that are available need tailoring for the specific requirements of the customer yeah. always so that they are delivering the value yeah absolutely right okay we're on to michael now please Thank you. I, I, I really think that frameworks are certainly helpful and we should use them as reflective practitioners to, to think about whether this framework will work in my project or not. So I think it's about being reflective as a practitioner. That's kind of the key here. Having said that, I would, although, um, I would although claim that this is very much about being driven by principles rather than frameworks. So, so my suggestion here would be to be driven by the principle that stakeholder satisfaction is the ultimate success criterion. Because I think that's, you know, you can, the, the, the link here is that if you deliver value, you will gain stakeholder satisfaction. So I think if you're living your project by the principle that you will like to deliver stakeholder satisfaction, then it's unavoidable to deliver value. And so to make it short, I think it's all about principles. Perfect, thank you very much. Um, Charlotte, please may we have the next question? You certainly can, Ellie. We've got a, another live question, and it's a question from one of the um, regular viewers, Diane. Diane asks, I read plans are worthless. Planning is everything. Is this the key to achieving twice the value? Brilliant question. Hi, Diane. <laughs> right, panel. <laughs> plans are worthless. Planning is everything. So SP, Falco, and then Laurie on this one, please. Yeah, I think it's some um, general said this, uh, but uh, I think maybe we'll we'll start from the context. So the context is really we we develop all these plans, and as we move forward in the project, plans change, things change, uh, but that specific aspect, that practice of planning. That's where the value is because we talk about risks, we talk about who will be doing what, we talk about cost, all these budget and uh, quality time constraints as well. Uh, so there is a lot of value in plans, but we should not rely on plans that we develop a month, a week, or a year ago, and because things keep on changing. So I think, yeah, the, the, the planning, process is valuable and if we are smart and that's where agile and the frameworks related to the agile practices are, are very sort of valuable and there so from a from a value perspective i think it, it makes sense we the, the planning is a key component in any project but the plans are worthless because if we develop a plan a month or it's something historic and we are not revisiting it, then obviously they go 
out of date very quickly. Uh, but the planning process should continue and we should keep on refining the plans. And if we really want to deliver uh, twice the value with half the time, that's where our focus should be. We each, as, we, as things evolve, as projects evolve, we make sure that we are updating our plans and the plans are kept up to date as things move on, we update our plans as well. And that's where the value is. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, Falco, your thoughts, please. Yeah, thanks. Um, this question really reminds me of the Agile Manifesto for Software Development, where it says um, in a project or in a planned phase, usually not too long, like um, months or less, um, you should plan something and react to changes um, even late in a, in a project or product development uh, setup so that you can think about what is creating the most value, what is helping the customer, the user uh, the most. And if the priorities change, be able to change. And for that, you have to replan. So um, I also uh, like the phrase, I don't know if it's uh, very common in English as well, but I like to translate it from German. Uh, plans are there to make God laugh. So uh, life is coming and uh, always um, bring, bringing updates and you do that. And um, from that point of view, I don't see plans as worthless. I like uh, making God laugh. Um, uh, from, from the point of view, the, the integration of ideas, the learning during the development phase and to the customer, integrating feedback and replanning um, is the key to focusing on creating value. That's why. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's, um, that's a really good one. Yeah. Thank you for that. So, Laurie, your thoughts, please, then we'll come to Michael. Oh, I, I love this topic, and it was really interesting. I agree with what the other speakers have said, and I think there's nothing more beautiful uh, than planning. We're engaging with other human beings creating an imaginary future that is valuable for different stakeholders in different ways and collaborating, exchanging ideas and moulding it into something that we both think will give us that shared value journey. It's just the most incredible thing we can do. And then to do it um, and not be attached to it, to be, you know, to use that reflective sort of principle that Michael was talking about earlier and to know we're going to learn new things. There's going to be new information coming along. We're going to adapt. We're going to change. We're going to replan continuously. But let's continuously have this practice of learning and, and changing the plan. It's, a, it's such a, a great practice. And uh, yeah, I really like that quote. It's a good one. Brilliant. Thanks, sorry. So Michael, we'll hear from you and then we'll bring Martin in just to close the panel's whole view on this question for Diane. please. Thank you. I'll, I'll just pick it up from, from where, where you left it uh, and, and say that, that I also really love this quote. And I think it's, it's important to say that when we do planning together, Usually the effect of this is that we can work more effectively, meaning that we are able to deliver something faster, meaning that we can do it maybe in half the time. So I think that this simple planning element is really crucial to deliver in shorter time. Excellent. Yeah, it's really helpful. Thanks, Michael. Um, Martin, so just to finish us off on this question, please. Two short things. I would like to add another quote uh, to this uh, to this question. No plan survives the first meeting with the enemy. So we have to be really able to, to, to change plans and so on. That's one point. And the second point, 
planning is everything it depends uh, who is uh, who is doing the planning because I can do planning um, on my own behind the closed door and then planning is nothing but if I do planning with all other people then I can see other aspects at one point and another point we have much more higher motivation of people to to fulfill the plan because uh, that's somehow their baby and uh, yeah they want to achieve that so it's about collaboration you have to do it together then planning makes sense thank you martin that's great and you can just see up on screen some comments from some of our audience so thank you abhishek that's a really great comment it's great to have you with us um charlotte please maybe have the next question Ellie, you may. Um, we've got a question from Peter. Peter asks, if you deliver in half the time, would this affect the quality as per the time quality trade-off? Okay. Does delivering in half the time affect the quality? Um, SP, Laurie, Falco and Martin, please. Thank you. I think it, it can. Uh, and there are two aspects to it. So the first is uh, a perception. So if I quoted, I'll finish my work in a day, I finish in half a day, even the quality is up to the standard, the acceptance criteria is met, but the general perception could be that the corners are being cut somewhere. It can happen. So that's the first aspect. And secondly, uh, genuinely, I might have cut corners why while I'm trying to do my best to deliver double the value in half the time uh, there could be things that do not help add value that much things which are not like the must-haves I may decide look not very important how about yeah the, as a first iteration I do this so I think both aspects are sort of relevant uh, and while we are providing service we should always keep both sort of aspects in mind. So at the end of the day, while we are doing things best up to our in, or or best of our in, intentions, uh, our customers do not perceive that the, the the quality has been compromised. Yeah, absolutely, excellent point there. Thank you, um, Laurie. Your thoughts, please. So once again, I agree, and once again, it really depends so if you blindly you know try to cut back time without being mindful of quality and value and those sorts of things you're probably going to get um, one of those outcomes but if you go into it consciously you know looking for a higher quality outcome getting a, a professional rather than an amateur to do something for example it's quite conceivable that you can get something done in half the time and create more value and you know not trade off on your quality yeah, absolutely agree with that. We are a very agreeable panel today. Let's have, have a bit more debate, shall we, panel? <laughs> okay. We're something controversial. Let's start with, with it depends. Of course, you can um, make everything, you can break everything and uh, not deliver everything uh, or anything after half, of, half the time. Um, you can focus on quality and have a project that runs for 50% uh, of the original planned time and just deliver quality in terms of improving the product, um, bug fixing and so on. Um, the question is not actually does it uh, affect, so you can't say, it depends what you do. 
Um, what I like when you try to create to uh, or to deliver, uh, not only create, but also deliver uh, twice the value in half the time, you would go iteratively. You would think, what is creating the most value for the customer? And first, try to deliver that as early as possible and um, have small increments and have the customer already use the highest value feature um, while you still develop the rest. Not that high, but less high quality and high um um, value for, for the customer um, and step by step improve the product, release it regularly, release the regu <clears throat> do the regular release with um, high automation maybe even. That's why you could make sure that you have a high repeatability of tests without manual work but have computer do that because they do it fairly well as, as well if you tell them what to test and how to test it. And uh, you can keep the quality up by repeating um, all those tests, the automated deployments and um, those things don't have to take time. So from that point of view, um, you can iteratively improve the product without um, yeah, um, losing quality. Yeah, absolutely right. Thank you. Martin, finish us up on this one, please. Uh, it's a pity because Falco a little bit stole a part of my answer. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, answer that in, in, in this way. I'm old IT guy, so I cannot talk for all areas, but within IT, there is some kind of movement or approach, which is called DevOps. And that's exactly what can uh, do stuff in half of the time, even with higher quality. So we will not compromise that, but we have to do it in the right way, how Falco mentioned, and he already mentioned the tools behind that. Sometimes it's called CICD, but it means that uh, more or less we optimize uh, the way how we work and then we automate it because, uh, you know, humans can always make mistakes, but uh, when you write and test the script, script will never fail if you don't touch mm -hmm. it again. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, great question, that, and great answers. Thanks, panel. I particularly like the part about using a professional with expertise. I, I know for sure that if I paid someone to come and decorate my house, it would get done in half the time and would not be worse quality, that's for sure. Um, so, um, Charlotte, can we queue up the next question, please? Just while you're getting that ready, just speaking to the audience for a second. Um, Please do get your questions in. The panel are here for another sort of 25 minutes. Um, any comments you have about today? Or any questions, drop them in the chat or um, pop them into Slido. Right, Charlotte, next question, please. Thank you. Thanks, Ali. Question from Peter. When is the best time in a project to focus on value? Perfect. Thank you. And um, Laurie, you were straight in with that one. So we have Laurie, Michael, SP and Falco, please. Well, it's it's really at the start. I mean, it's important to think of value all the way through, right, right up until you're handing over to a customer. But certainly at the start is really where, um, you know, talking about doing it in half the time and innovation, um, it's that it's where you everything is still, a, you know, almost like a mental model. You haven't built anything yet. Nobody's committed and creativity is at its greatest. So certainly in the early phases of a project where you get the chance to tap into different Opinions before people sort of get too attached to a particular solution or a particular development pathway. So I would say uh, the earlier, the better. Perfect. Thanks. Michael, your thoughts, please. 
Laurie, I, I totally agree on that. The earlier, the better. I mean, uh, you know, if you can start up your project with an ideation where you focus on the value creation that, that you intend of this project, then you're left in a great place, right? Having said that, though, mm-hmm. I, I would say it's never too late. So, so once you start your project, I mean, and you're, you feel that, that you're not creating value, then I would claim that it would be a good idea to stop up, rethink the whole thing, restart it again, and, and, and do the project from there. And, and I've been part of a few uh, bigger projects where we actually were in a situation where we had to stop up and do this. And I can tell you, it's, it's not an easy task, but it's certainly worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. SP. Thank you. I agree. I think uh, certainly if we look from the overall project lifecycle, we start with the say, idea, which is often sort of covered in the business case. So that's where what is the value that project is going to deliver, how much budget capital investment is required. So that's the, the first project initiation, then we move into the project execution where throughout the execution, our focus should always be at the business case. That's our baseline. And whatever we do must be aligned to the original business case. And then once we are completing the project, we do uh, say a retrospective, a project review or a closure report. We look at the end-to-end project. So where we started, have we made any changes on in our business case throughout the project or not? And then we look what value have we delivered. So I think the value is one single thing from where we start throughout the execution. At the end, we, we measure. Uh, and that is the backbone of the project itself. So I think to the best time is throughout the entire project. And we've got tools to set the foundation during the initiation, tools to measure throughout the execution that are we delivering what we have agreed on at the start. When we end the project, we have got these ceremonies where we check what have we delivered and have we matched what we have said from the very start. So throughout the project, one thing which we should never forget is the value. So throughout, we should focus. That's my two cents. Okay, Falco, your thoughts, please. Yeah, I would say um, the best time to focus on value is when you have a customer at hand. You can always get feedback from the customer and learn from from their insights, and then you can adapt. Um, You can, things like what Michael said, um, restart a project. Or um, think about the business case that you said as a plan in the beginning of the of the project kind of thing, um, and um, keep checking it. But you always have to have a customer to to be able to get an outside view um, because that's um, the person, the yeah, the, the input giver, the feedback giver for the value creation process. So. That's what I like uh, when we are in the project um, mindset. But as I said, usually if if you really want to create value, you might want to switch to the uh, product or service mindset. And um, there 
go iteratively and always invite uh, customers or uh, feedback givers um, to, um, for example, if you follow a framework like Scrum um, or other frameworks like Safe, um, <laughs> you might want to um, in invite. Uh, <laughs> You might want to invite uh, feedback givers, uh, customers uh, on a regular basis and gather this feedback proactively and not wait until the, the end of the project and uh, always compare it to the plan that you defined in the beginning. Yeah, thanks, Marco. Martin, I'm going to invite you in to, to comment. You look like you want to comment on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I think that I will I will go a little bit against uh, panelists uh, who were talking uh, in front of me because uh, I believe that uh, value is not a question of project or product or specific phase or specific tool like a business case and, and stuff like that. I believe that uh, value is integral part of mindset of all people participati participating on, on any kind of activity. So uh, value should be on the top of our thoughts. Any, any time when we do anything. It doesn't matter if we have customer in our hands, if we are on the beginning of the project or on the end of the project. No, value is always part of our thinking. And when we, when we do that, when we build uh, this mindset in all people, then we don't need to stop the project because uh, later on, or we don't need to say, just now we should start to think about the value. We should talk to customer about the value. No, because we discuss the value all the time. It doesn't matter if we are in the project, in the product, or wherever. Yeah, thanks, Martin. And that's fine. You are allowed to disagree with each other. You are all experts in your own right, and there are many, many different answers to these questions. So with that in mind, Charlotte, what's our next question, please? Thanks, Ali. Um, I've got another question from Falco. Um, and that Falco, that question from Falco, so sorry, lost my thread. Um, asks, how do you know which of your actions create value? Okay, how do we know which of our actions are creating value? Martin, we'll come to you first and then Michael, please. It's very simple. Customer will tell us. I think that yeah. immediately. Because customer is willing to pay for it or not. That's very simple. Yeah, absolutely. And um, short and straight to the point. Thank you, Martin. Michael, your views on this one, please. Yeah, I, I would like to broaden that a bit more because I, I would I would say that this is about stakeholder satisfaction. It's about stakeholders perceiving value from whatever you deliver from your project, right? So so I think it's the the essence here is to design your project to deliver something as fast as possible in order for you to try out whether stakeholders like what you're doing or not. So, uh, and then you invite them in to give you feedback on whatever you have delivered to them. So I, I think that's how you get an insight to the value because as I said before, value creation is a very abstract thing. So you need to figure out what is the actual value. And, and I would say that, that the best way to figure that out is to do something Give it, you know, it, to your stakeholders and let them be the judge of whether it's valuable or not. And then you will have to adjust from there. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, they don't always necessarily know exactly what it is they want, do they? Um, great. Thank you. Laurie, we'll come to you next on this one. Yeah. Uh, once again, it's the same for me. It really is failing fast. And sometimes you can fail and you're creating value from doing that because you're learning 
that those particular pathways or solutions aren't giving the customer what they want. So it really is that um, that quick learning and that uh, very rigorous engagement with the customer. And, and sometimes you might be teaching the customer um, a value chain that they couldn't see that they never envisaged. So sometimes you're, you're, you're sort of expanding the mind of your customer as well. Famous one, where was it Henry Ford? If he'd listened to his customers, he would have built a faster horse. Is that, the, is that exactly, what they say? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Falco. Um, the next question then, please, Charlotte. Thanks, Ellie. We've got a question from Eric Flemings. How do you allocate the less tangible business value slash impact to a specific project? Okay, In, uh, less tangible business value. Thank you. Okay, Laurie and Michael and Falco, please. Um, so <clears throat> this is a really interesting one, and this is um, about um, sort of understanding the different values that different customers have for things that are um, other than simple things to measure like financial. We, we started off the start to some of these abstract concepts like um, social value and relationships with the community and, and some of those sorts of things. So it's really important to understand our customers well and to under, really unpack um, how what um, weighting that they place on some of these um, intangible sort of outcomes. A really big emerging area is environmental uh, impact, right, which is, is becoming really, really interesting. So suddenly, instead of just measuring profitability, there's all of these sort of social and environmental impacts that companies need for their brand that are still uh, valuable for them in other ways that really need to be managed uh, very carefully. So it really is about understanding your customer deeply, not just what they want, not just the widget or the new innovation, but how do they think? How do they see the world? What's important to them? And then designing your solution and supporting them with their values in mind as well as as well as your own. Yeah, absolutely. Great, um, great point there. Thank you. Michael, your thoughts on this one, please. Yeah, I would like to go back to the two buckets that I that I introduced before, the, uh, the, the business value bucket and the behavioral change or behavioral value bucket. So, so I think this is very much about the intangible part is very much about the behavioral change that we are trying to install. Please bear in mind that most projects would have some kind of change included in them because we're defining something new. We're, we've never done this before. It would have quite a big complexity to it. So usually that would be, that would be quite a lot of behavioral change associating to creating the actual value of the project. And I think the very intangible bit of this is, is the behavioral change that we would like to install. So, so I think a key to create value is really to focus on the behaviors that needs to change as early as possible and discuss with your stakeholders, maybe even, you know, have a plan for how you can create that change while you do the project and not after you have introduced the, uh, let's say, the deliverable that you're doing. Your thoughts on this one, please. All right. Um, business value. Um, I see... A book in my head, The Art of Business Value by Mark Schwartz, explaining lots of views of um, what is um, product, what is creating business value. There are things to to measure. For example, um, the value of the organization over time regarding, um, for example, the share prices, um, the products and the um, 
assets that the company, that an organization have. Um, you can follow that. Um, and time is what is important at that point of view for me, because this project is started at a specific point in time, ends at a specific point in time, and related to the outcomes of the project, the value of an organization might increase or decrease. Um, so that could be an indicator if a project was successful because it was um, supposed to create business value and you could measure it with um, the value of the organization rising. Um, if that's a little bit too abstract, you could also look into more um, other indicators that are closer also um, to, to the company, like uh, revenue um, development over time. And that would be things um, to, to measure business value from, from my perspective. Maybe someone else wants to add something too. Yeah, I think Martin's going to come in and give us our thought, give his thoughts on this one, please. Uh, as, as always, I would like to somehow finish the answers to this question. So uh, <laughs> one point is that uh, uh, you mention a lot uh, some kind of uh, financial uh, parameters or financial indicators uh, to demonstrate business value. We call it tangible value. Uh, then we have intangible value, and it was mentioned here that we have a change of behavior, we have uh, social aspects, we have environmental aspects, and so on. But I believe that if you try enough, uh, then those intangible value can be translated into tangible values as well. That's, that's one point, because uh, as Simon Sinek says, we have two games. We have finite game and infinite game. And uh, in finite game, we can think about short time, uh, financial values, we can win, let's say, a uh, new customer, new project, or new product, or whatever, but uh, we can bankrupt in two years. But if we invest into intangible values, we will stay in the game. And uh, we will have tangible uh, indicate or tangible values later on, because we stay in the game, we will have profit not just now, but we will have profit in upcoming years. We will have lawyer customers, customers will recommend us to somebody else and so on. Uh, they will like to stay with us and, and so on. So all this stuff can be somehow sooner or later translated into tangible values as well. But we have to play Thank you, Martin. Game. Yeah. Thank you very much, Martin. We'll just hear from Laurie really quickly on this current question. Then we're going to have our last question, which is um, a good one to finish on from a live viewer. So Laurie, close us off on this one, please, and then we'll move to the next. All right. Okay. Just a quick, quick controversial. I really liked what uh, the direction Martin had there about infinite value, and that's sustainability, right? And so um, the emerging trend is we don't just deliver value to the customer. We don't just do what the customer wants because human beings are all greedy creatures who will knock down every tree and take every bit of resource they can to maximise their profit and give their family as much food as they possibly can. Um, we're starting to become more ethical. We're starting to not just do what the customer wants. If the customer's dumping toxic stuff into the dump and wants you to turn it, we're, we're, we're taking a different approach. We're starting to think holistically. We're starting to apply ethics and have professional obligations to be ethical, to consider society, to consider the environment so richly. So even though the customer used to be the one standing in front of us, more and more now the customer is also the future generations who don't mm -hmm. even get a chance to 
say or whatever. But instead, we're thinking infinitely. We're thinking long term, and we're we're trying to influence and shape the future. Yes, satisfy a customer to an extent, but also to do something in a way that's infinite or sustainable. Yeah, excellent point there. Thanks for adding that, Laurie. So we're just going to move on now to what will be our last question of today's show. Um, Charlotte, if you can come back with us and, and give us our last question, please. Certainly can, Ali. The question is a live one that's just come in from uh, James Bryden. What tools can you use to double you? Sorry, I'll start again. What tools can you use to double the value in half the time? A great one to finish on there. Thank you, James. So tools, um, Laurie, Michael, SP, Alco. Thank you. Uh, so, so very quickly, really effective risk management um, is, is a really great value creation tool. So it's about opportunity, not just um, reducing negative consequences. And the purpose of risk management is to create and protect value. So if we could be more innovative and take a probabilistic um, you know, wild, uh, more um, left field ideas approach that can really help us. Um, an example of that is, you know, in uh, during uh, COVID in, in uh, Wuhan in China, they built a new hospital in 10 days. If you Google on YouTube, Wuhan Hospital 10 Days, you'll see a time lapse modular, uh, almost like a Lego construction of a hospital. It's just uh, extraordinary. So, certainly having a risk based approach, and by risk, I mean opportunity, you can. Uh, deliver things faster, better with uh, plenty of innovation. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Right. Uh, Michael, um, your thoughts on tools that can be helpful, please. Thank you. So uh, we've written a book called Half Double, which is exactly about creating double the value in half the time. And uh, in the book, you will find nine methods and tools that can help you to create double the value in half the time. And let me just here enhance two of the tools, being one being the impact case, where we try to associate the business value with the behavioral value. And the second one being what we call the impact solution design, which is the ideation process that you need to go through in order to figure out what is the value of this project. So I meant uh, looking into that book. Thank you, Michael. That's really useful. SP, your tools for um, delivering value. Thank you. I'll go with very basic. So let's start with Pareto's principle, 80-20 rule. We all know what it is. Uh, pretty much focus on doing things that matter the most and ignore things that are not important. So yeah, so 80-20 rule, I think we can quickly Follow for the listeners who are not familiar with Google 8020. I think it's the one of the most important principles in projects in general work in in, in general. Uh, the, the second tool I would like to refer is uh, the work expands to fill the time available, and that is Parkinson's law. And uh, where we can limit if we receive an estimate of eight hours. How about if we restrict that to four hours and see how far we can go and iteratively improve? If we fix things on to allow eight hours, likely it's going to take eight to 10 or 12 hours. So, how we can limit our work to fit in the set time and we reduce that time window. And these principles have been covered in detail by the book. Uh, the, the name of the book is The Goal, and it talks about theory of constraints. Uh, 
uh, a must read for anyone who is involved in projects and project delivery. Uh, the critical chain, and there are quite a few methods which have been explained in this book, and they are specifically to guide us to sort of exceed the amount of value and to limit the time and how we can deliver the successful project. So Thank three you. tools I would like to refer. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Falco, very briefly finish us off on this one, please. <laughs> All right. The first thing that came in mind when I um, first read the title of this uh, session and uh, also the question is Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland. So uh, one tool could be the Scrum framework, which actually is a product from someone and uh, with lots of uh, training certification and things around that. Um, from my point of view, that could help. And the second thing I would keep in mind is uh, staying close to the customer, customer-centric action, keeping the value creation process um, in the forehead uh, all the time, maybe just print it there somewhere, uh, value, so that you get uh, reminded whenever you uh, talk to someone who, who reads it to you or when you look into a camera or a mirror. Um, that might be a helpful thing to do as well. So. Um, customer centricity, um, even um, uh, what's the um, two diamonds thing? Um, design thinking, yeah, could be also a helpful um, tool or process to get this close connection to the customer. Perfect. Thank you so much, um, Valko. Um, so uh, I'd really like to thank you, our audience and our producers, uh, James, Diane, Nigel. Thank you for your excellent questions today and everybody else who's watching. Please do watch out for your name in the credits if your um, question was selected. So panel, it's time for your closing remarks. So let me start with, uh, with Martin, please, your thoughts on today. <laughs> I hope that I will have a little bit more time to think about that. So. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, great questions, uh, good good answers, because uh, uh, there were completely different perspectives than I expected uh, before this session. I expected a little bit more, let's say, uh, personal stuff, because it's related to value as well, and we were focused uh, mainly on, on business value project and stuff like that, but I still believe that uh, you cannot achieve business stuff without fulfilling your personal stuff. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a fair point. Thank you. Um, Falco, your thoughts on today? Yeah, um, thanks a lot for answering the two questions that uh, actually made it to the session from uh, my point. Uh, thanks to the other panelists for, for your perspectives on, on those. And uh, I hope I could also uh, give a few insights that you didn't have before. So um, looking forward to the next uh, level ups. Brilliant. Thank you, Falco. Laurie, your thoughts on today? Oh, thank you so much to all of the other panellists. I took so much out of that. Uh, it was very, very interesting. I really enjoyed uh, the exchange. So thank you. I look forward to the next level up as well. Brilliant. Thank you. SP. A big thank you to everyone. I won't say anything more. Thank you all. And yeah, very unique perspectives. A uh, lot of value there. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Michael. Yeah, thank you to everyone and thank you for being part of this. And, and if I could sh just share one message, then, then I hope that the time of non-value creating projects are over.
Yeah, hear, hear. <laughs> yeah, I think we all agree with that. Thanks, panelists. You've been wonderful. It's been a great show. <laughs> so, audience, if you'd like to find more expert answers um, to uh, live audience questions, head over to our website where you can search through over 1,500 questions from previous shows. It's a comprehensive free resource connecting you with 170 experts from around the world. Don't forget, you can also listen to the audio version of the show on your preferred um, podcast platform. Um, and just to let you know, we have a couple of great shows coming up. Uh, so join us on Monday, the 21st of November, where we will explore how to become a PMO specialist. And on Friday, the 25th of November, we will look at how to keep up to date in change management. Also coming up soon are our Christmas special shows uh, on Monday, the 12th of December and Friday, the 16th of December. These will be a great opportunity to get to know the panelists a little more and some sneak peeks at what happens behind the scenes in Level Up. Make sure you keep in touch with the latest episodes. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and how you can join the panel um, and level up your career with APMG. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you in the next show.